Good evening, fellow animation snobs. You're listening to the Criterion Collection Animation Addicts podcast with the Criterion Rotoscopers. Criterion episode 92, Watership Down. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with over 250,000 downloadable titles to choose from. Today on the Animation Addicts podcast, we are reviewing the film Watership Down. And if you love the movie or are very intrigued by the movie, you should definitely check out the book of the same name, Watership Down. It's by Richard Adams, and you can get it on Audible completely free. If you go to rotoscopers.com slash audible, you can get a free credit, so that way you can buy any book if you want. Absolutely free. Watership Down is 15 hours and 51 minutes. That's a whole lot of bunnies, guys. Get ready. It's amazing. So if you're interested, definitely or maybe if you're not interested, you're saying hey, bunnies, not my thing. That's cool. Go check out another book. Richard Adams also has another book called The Plague Dogs. Maybe that's more of your your thing. So anyways, go to rotoscopers.com slash audible to get your free audiobook. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. My name is Chelsea Robson. I am here with Morgan Stradling and Mason Smith, and we are going to be talking about some crazy, awesome, good animated movies. Hey, guys. Woohoo! Yeah! I'm excited to be back for another rockin' episode of the Animation Addicts Podcast. Mm-hmm. The fur's gonna fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That has been established. <laughs> yes. Blood and guts, flesh and flying, wholesome family entertainment. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> so here at the Animation Addicts podcast, here's what we do. We pick a random, sometimes random, sometimes not, um, animated movie, past or present, and we just go through and dissect it and talk about it because we're just really big fans of the medium that is animation. We love movies that have made us laugh, made us cry, and just made just made our day. And this one was one that was very... I had never heard of Watership Down up until... Did it make your day, Chelsea? Did it make my day? Uh, you know what? There was a lot of good things about it, and we'll get into that. But this is one of those things. It's like, I've never heard of this movie, and I'm excited to jump in. Yeah, totally. Like, this one has been a long time coming. I think it was originally, like, we would, like, joke about it. Like, oh, we should do Watership Down. Yeah, the kids will like that. <laughs> and then uh, we had, uh, oh, who was it? We had one of our our people on the rotoscopers.com, like, team it was Jeff. suggest this. Or was it just was it just a listener? Uh, well, a lot of people have suggested it um, in various voicemails and emails, and then recently Jed had done um, just kind of a flashback review, I guess, of you know favorite animated films in history, you know, just old school review, and so he picked that, and so uh, it's been a long time in the running. I just thought that this was really funny that we picked this. We're the t- day we're recording this is two days after Easter, you know, and Easter is associated <laughs> with lots of things, but bunnies is one of them, and. So now I'm forever going to associate this as an Easter film, although it has <laughs> nothing. Well, I don't know. There could be some correlation, but yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I'm really excited about this one. Like my family uh, as a whole, like is really into this film. Like my dad would always ask, want me to read and read the book and watch the film. And then my, uh, you know, I have a lot of extended family that really hold this dear to their hearts. <laughs> and uh, I saw it for the first time about two years ago, and then it was really nice to watch it again. 
Was this the first time y'all had watched it? Yes, it was. Yes. Well, this will be this will be a good experience. So, let's head right into our discussion for Watership Down. He says there's a bad danger coming to our warren. A bad danger. I've got a little plan. Just follow me closely. We must go on until we reach the hills. You're all under arrest. Spreading dissension. Inciting to mutiny. Go. Now. Or we'll kill you. Hand over all the deserters immediately. We shouldn't be fighting each other. Our warren destroyed. There's nowhere left to run. Come on and try, you crack-brained slave driver. We're not finished yet. Not by a long shot. We all got into this together. We'll all get out of it together. I know what we ought to be looking for. A high, lonely place where we can see and hear all around. I'm from a warren where life is free, where you can live as you wish. It's some kind of a bird. We help you. You stupid bunny! Perhaps we should be together, adjoining a free, independent warren. We can escape from Ephrafa, believe me. All the world will be your enemy. Prince with a thousand enemies. Be cunning, and your people will never be destroyed. You can see the whole world! Okay, so like we said, we are talking about Watership Down. I am just going to give some basic, top-line information for everybody, general info. The studio that did this was called Nepenthe Productions. The director was Martin Rossin. It was released November 1st, 1978 in the U.S., in the U.K., since this is a British film. That's like, let's just set that straight right now. This is a British film, and uh, I've talked to a lot of people as we were recording this, getting ready, and, and they are British, and they say, oh yeah, I know Watership Down, and I think it's very prominent in British culture to know about this film and have seen it. Uh, in the UK, it was released in October, a little bit before the US. It had a budget of $4.8 million. And unfortunately, <laughs> there's only US box office statistics. It didn't do too well in the US, $3.7 million. However, it was a huge success in, uh, oh, yeah. in England, all over the place. Um, so definitely, even though those numbers are less than the budget, don't write this off as a box office failure because it definitely was not. Um, and it is known as a cult classic, definitely, because there oh, are yeah. people who d- love this film, adore this film, want to talk about and watch this film, um, even though it may not have been as mainstream. Definitely not. Definitely not. So when I, when my dad would tell me about Watership Down, he didn't really tell me much about the plot. He just told me that I really needed to like watch it and that it was a great... Uh, it had a lot of symbolism. It was a lot like Animal Farm, and it, it definitely was. But when I was a kid, I'd be like, Watership Down is kind of a weird title. Like, what is it? Kind of like Black Hawk Down? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, we Americans don't understand what a down is. What is a down? (laughs) I guess. For the uninitiated. Yeah. A down. Uh, well, a down is uh, well. I don't. I still don't know. I guess I. It's like a big, gigantic, grassy hill. That's, <laughs> it's like a plateau covered with grass. Is what I can understand from yeah, it. Yeah, I would never associate. Which is weird that. because why is it called a down if it's up in the air? 
Britain, you tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hearing this title, when people them. were saying, oh, you should do Watership Down, it's so awesome, I had no reference to this movie. I hadn't even seen a poster, a DVD cover, anything. So hearing Watership Down and people saying it was awesome, I don't know why I thought this, but I always thought this was some sort of space film. What? Yes, I don't know why. Clearly, because I'm an American, I have no idea what the word down means. But I kind of thought this was some like '70s space movie, like Watership Down. I, like, no, what I, if it was like a, what if it was like a Miyazaki where it's like, where it's like it's a, it's a water ship, you know? Yeah. Like Howl's Moving Castle oh, or dude. something like. Yeah, that. you no. think I would think that this was some sort of a, you know, uh, oceanic film? But Sophie, no, my water it's a ship. Space. It's ship. down. <laughs> Um, yeah, so then realizing later it was about bunnies, I had to reset my frame of reference. Like, oh, okay, so I'm not getting ships in space. <laughs> so, and I guess I realized what it was after you did, because all I'm thinking is submarines. And <laughs> and then I'm think- you, I hear rabbits are involved. I'm like, what do rabbits have to do with submarines? I'm so confused. Oh, you'll find out, Chelsea. <laughs> So inventive. What don't they have to do with submarines? <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. So I this was my, the second time for me watching it, and first time I watched it, I think I I rented it on Amazon um, like three years ago. Didn't even watch it in high definition, but this time I was oh so privileged enough to watch it on the Criterion Collection Blu-ray. So now I am I have turned from Mason the Animation Addict to Mason the Film Snob because I own a <laughs> Criterion Collection Blu-ray. Yes, fancy. Look at him. And here Chelsea oh, and I just watched yes. it on Amazon in standard oh, definition. Oh, right? Standard definition. Oh, it's so standard. Oh. <laughs> But I wish. Anyway. So I think it's really cool that that Watership Down was included in the Criterion Collection. Criterion yeah. Collection is they kind of take it upon themselves to uh, bring movies that are of significant importance and release them and give them a, a genuine DVD Blu ray release that they deserve. Um, it's loaded with all sorts of bonus features. Uh, they just put so much effort into them. And I think it's really interesting because it's a, a separate company. That it's not, it's not like Criterion Collection is a dish, you know, a uh, an arm of Disney or whatnot. It's just a separate company who chooses certain films yeah. to release. Maybe they did, never had a proper release or whatnot. And uh, I think there's a very few animated films. I know that Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of them, and then Watership oh, Down. Yeah. So, so what did you see on that was so great about the Blu-ray, the Criterion? Well, yeah, Collection. here's my little yeah. I know, since I'm I'm so fancy oh, now, um, let me educate you standard people. Um, <laughs> well, the Criterion Blu-ray, uh, for one, the um, they remastered it perfectly. Uh, HD soundtrack, you know, and then the 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 screen, of course, the the picture quality is just beautiful, and that's what Criterion's known for are their masterful restorations. Uh, one of the reasons, and then. Um, I love Criterion stuff. It's like they you go to you get to the menu and it doesn't say play, it says movie. They rename everything because they just have to be <laughs> apart from all the standard people. But um special features were pretty good. They had storyboards for I think almost the whole film. Uh they had an original trailer and then they had two interviews. Oh they had yeah, they had two interviews and a and a featurette. One of them was uh, Guillermo del Toro who he really manages to be in everything these days. <laughs> And that's not bad. He's really a creative genius, and he cites this film as 
as um, his rite of passage into young adulthood as as a, a moviegoer. And uh, that was pretty interesting. There was also an interview with the film's director, and it was very interesting how they brought this film to production. And then there was a last featurette that was... Uh, um, it, it was a, a bunch of interviews from around 2005 where they interviewed the, um, I think the art director, a couple of animators and a few, um, background layout painters and talked about how they established the unique visual style of the film. Cause it, I, I feel like the visual style was one of the biggest challenges. And, um, so I will, um, that's my, uh, that's my plug for the Criterion Collection Blu-ray. Um, and I will of course be sprinkling uh, little tidbits that I learned from the Blu-ray and the special features throughout this episode. But what you really need to do for the whole story is pick up the the Blu-ray for yourself. It, like um, like Morgan said, Criterion they they are uh, they have the task of restoring and preserving these cinematic masterpieces. And the fact that they consider this film to be one of those masterpieces says something. Yeah, so you can find that if you want to buy it yourself, you can go to rotoscopers.com slash watership down Blu-ray, all one word, or you can go to rotoscopers.com slash 92, and I have all the links if you want to buy it on Blu-ray, DVD, mm. if you want to rent it digitally like Chelsea and I did, or buy it digitally, uh, iTunes links. I always have all those different resources for you guys, um, but particularly this Holy one because cow. it's super fancy, as we've established. Yeah. Super fancy. Morgan's got all the links. She's got more links than the official Zelda timeline. <laughs> yeah. So this was a book. Yeah. No, this was, as I was reading or as I was watching this, I knew that it was a book. And so I was like, I really, really want to read this book right now because it just, there were so many different seemingly allegorical things. And I'm like, what is it? I, this has got to be deeper than what it is. And it's so crazy cool. Um, I went in and I looked on Amazon and it does have, it does have the book available. It's actually in the Goodreads section and it also has it available on Audible. If you want to find that, you can go to rotoscopers.com slash Audible, um, for Hello. your free download. <laughs> no, but really, I'm, I'm definitely going to be looking into this because I, I listened to the first little bit of, like, cause you can listen to like a sample. Um, on the site. And so I was listening to the first little bit and it's kind of the introduction and he goes in and he talks about how this was actually a series of stories that he would tell his daughter as they would like drive across country. You know, they would just be in the car and be talking to her. And then, um, he wanted to put this book together and just basically hand it to her and say, here's the book you wanted me to write. And nobody would publish it. Because everyone, when they read it, it was, they thought it was good, but they didn't, because it was about bunnies, they're like, well, the older kids won't want to read it because it's, bunnies are considered like younger kids stuff and the younger kids aren't going to understand it because it's written for an adult sensibility. So they just, nobody knew how to, how to, um, how to sell it really. Um, but then he did end up getting a publisher in the U.S. to publish it. And so technically, because of that, it is an American book that went to um, the UK, even though he is uh, British. He was actually, he, he was in World War II, and a lot of his commanders he kind of cites as influences for some of the characters. So I thought that was really cool. And there's just a lot of really cool things about this movie. So definitely one to look into and kind of dig 
You know, I think, it. I think it's interesting you say that it initially wasn't meant to have any sort of allegory or particular meaning, but that doesn't mean that people haven't taken it to represent certain fascist dictatorships and regimes. Oh, definitely not. It's definitely not like um, Animal Farm, which is very written, has a satire of a particular, of the Russian Revolution, basically. Right, Russian mm-hmm. Revolution? However, it definitely could be more of a blanket... Uh, understanding of, of of power and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well, and also the author Richard Adams had nothing to do with the movie, and so it's possible. I haven't no. read the book yet, but it's possible that they could have like taken those themes and went them a little bit deeper than like what he was even thinking. But yes, everybody has taken those thoughts into consideration. Yeah. So production. Okay. So we were just talking about how it was a difficult. It was difficult to distribute this as a book, and um, it was difficult or it was challenging to produce this as a film, as it turns out. And uh, as it turns out, Martin Rosen had a hard time selling this as a production. It said so in the special features that uh, Martin Rosen, the director, he originally considered making it an opera or like a ballet Mm -hmm. before making it an animated film. Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. A ballet would be interesting because I could see how the the dancers on stage could represent a rabbit. Just, the bunny-like you know, I mean, movement? Yeah, or in in the Nutcracker, how, you know, they're able to represent certain things. Um, so I, I would love actually to see that, but that'd be like a very... It'd be a tragic ballet, almost like Swan Lake or whatnot, depending mm-hmm. on which way we, we wanted to go. I've heard people say that the book isn't as gruesome and terrifying. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's just because visually you don't make it as bad as it actually is. For example, I'm reading Game of Thrones, which I've never seen the show uh, because I heard it's very good grief, very uh, mature. SFW. Yeah, exactly. But as I'm reading the book, (laughs) I'm sitting here thinking like like for the specifically the fight scenes, they're supposed to be so gory in the in the show. I'm sitting here thinking like this isn't bad at all. And I think that's just because when you're reading a book, you don't make it as gory and gruesome as it could be depicted on film. But or maybe Mm, my mind just doesn't tend to go that way. Um Anyways, back to the ballet. Well, that's all I have to say, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, um, they, he said that he con- he considered contacting, you know, the British opera houses or British ballet houses to, to make it and then um, finally decided on animation. And you know what's kind of cool is that he got the film to be financed by, by British commercial banking houses. Isn't that cool? Like, imagine if Bank of America announced that they were financing or they were funding the next Pixar film yeah. or something like that, or or not a Pixar film, but like a startup indie animated film. Yes. You know, wouldn't that be weird? But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I guess I guess yeah. studios get bank loans and stuff um, to finance their films. But um, I just thought that was an interesting an interesting detail. Mm. Now, for your friends who ask, author Richard Adams was never involved in the production, as it turns out, but he did give the film his stamp of approval in the end. But no, he was not involved in the production whatsoever. Um, one thing that I like about this film, and one thing that they really tried for, was a naturalistic sense of realism. And as uh, Rosen explained in the special features, every location in Watership Down is a real location somewhere out in the British countryside. Like, Watership Down is a real place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, the uh, sound editor for the film spent, like, three nights on top of Watership Down uh, gathering in the sounds just to get the sound effects right for the film. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you and think... Just- 
Oh, do, you, do you think when they do that, when they base every scene on a real location and they just, you know, take it and, and paint it and make it a background and whatnot, do you think that, uh, I guess it depends on the film, but does it add to the film or does it take away from the artistry of the film? I, I guess really it, think uh, one of the strongest points of this film is how naturalistic is there's no anthropomorphic they kept it as natural as they could except for instances where the rabbits had to speak with human voices and have um recognizable human expressions that we could relate to you know to to up their character appeal and not in that they're cute but in that they're relatable to humans and so yeah i I think that's one of the most interesting and strongest parts of this film is that um they it makes you believe that these are real rabbits and they have this real mythology and real structure and they have these real dangers happen to them because part of the part of selling this film was i imagine was a uh, communicating to the audience a constant sense of danger like a fear of instant sudden death and that's you know that's that's how real life is for these poor little bunnies and uh, so yeah i i really enjoy that they had this kind of pastoral realism um, and then, of course, uh, juxtaposed with the intro, which was uh, very artsy-fartsy. Mm-hmm. That's a technical <laughs> term. You would know. You're in art school. But uh, going along with your introduction for the film, Morgan, um, Del Toro, in his interview, he he said some really profound things. One, he said that animation is not a genre. It is a medium. So you can... Academy, you can take it from Guillermo del Toro himself. <laughs> Animation is a genre, is not is a medium, not a genre, and it's not just for children's stories, obviously. And uh, he said something interesting. He considered Watership Down to be something like anti-animation, but really not as sloppy and wild as, for example, Ralph Bakshi's work. He was doing things um, that were just totally off the wall and were very cult and like pulpy, and. Um, that's not really the style of Watership Down at all, but Watership Down still is, uh, I would I would think it's safe to say, like a soft anti-animation, just because it is so different from uh, what the major studios were pulling off at the time. Yeah, so it's interesting you say that animation is not just for children, but many people think it is. And even at the time at releasing this, I think they still sort of thought that it was. Uh, I read that... Uh, in Britain, in Britain, it was given a U certificate, which is basically suitable for all ages. Basically a G, a G rating. <laughs> and um, the, awesome. quote, the quote says, whilst the film may move children emotionally during the film's duration. It oh, cannot, I love this quote. I read it, too. It could not seriously trouble them once the spell of the story <laughs> is broken. And a U certificate is therefore quite appropriate. And they mentioned that. Not scar them permanently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, I can just see them saying that. They they oh, mentioned that every year, this is probably the the one movie that they get the most grief <laughs> against, saying that it should not get the U classification. Oh, and you... I can see it now. The parents <laughs> go to the rental store like, "Mommy, get me the get me this bunny cartoon." Well, heck, doesn't seem that bad. It's <laughs> funny. Well, you say that. 30 minutes in. We have three voicemails, and two of the voicemails specifically mention this, how they watched this as a film or as a, as a child and were traumatized. They both explicitly yes. use the word traumatized, and you'll you'll see that when we get to the voicemail oh. section. But it's it really does. I think if you aren't prepared for this film and, and the violence that comes because it's it's there um, in bits and pieces, and then in it gets really bad in the last like the last ten minutes are just like holy cow, what mm-hmm. is going on? Um, so 
And anyways, going back to this being children, I don't think this was for children. I don't think children are mentally kind of emotionally prepared for this sort of story. It's a bit over their head. It's slow. Some children may be in awe by it and, and enjoy the violence. But for the most part, it traumatizes most children and should wait yeah. until you're younger. So or until you're older. And Mason, so that's where I have to go and ask you. You say that this film was like a huge staple in your family growing up. Was that just the book or the film? Because then you say, oh, I, but I actually didn't see it until I was older. Is that because your parents said, okay, you can't see Watership Down till you're 18? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I watched it when I was about 21, I suppose. I, I think I never watched it as a kid because I, I was interested in other things. Um, or or maybe dad, you know, just couldn't find a rental. See, and it's not because they didn't think it was appropriate because when I was like six years old, like I was fed on a steady film diet of Terminator, Mad Max, and Godzilla. It was like my dad was trying to get me ready for some apocalypse 80s vision of the future. But, uh, and giant kaiju. But, um, oh man, but he, they would always quote this, especially when I would talk to dad about things like politics and, um, Coming from a family that is very um, anti-fascist and anti-government uh, control, um, this is an excellent allegory um, illustrating how freedom ought not to be maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the biggest takeaway for me from this film and why I cherish it so much. Because there, how, what other films do this? You know, and there's plenty of books that do, but how many animated films were bold enough to take it where Watership Down took it? And so. Let's all uh, let's all stew on that and uh, as our as our grand intro and dive right into um, the first part. I like to kind of divide this film into structures of um, societies that the rabbits encounter. Mm-hmm. But before we even do that, we get this beautiful like quick overview of bunny religion because um, <laughs> there was Frith, Frith the the sun god, creating all the animals alike and then creating. Um, the rabbit and there's all these kinds of different names and, and stuff. And then that iconic, uh, that iconic phrase, you know, all the world will try to kill you prince with a thousand, um, enemies. enemies. Yeah. All the world will be your enemy prince with a thousand enemies. And when they find you, they will kill you. But first they have to catch you or something like that. I, I butchered it, but very cool art and animation. I, uh, it was inspired by Australian Aboriginal art. And after I saw that in the, mm-hmm. after they said that in the special features, I was like, Oh yeah, makes sense. <laughs> and it sets up this circle of life theme. Like you ask, you got to ask the question throughout the film. Like, why is everyone trying to kill the rabbits? And the answer is right there because nature made it so. Life is unfair, mm-hmm. and these mm-hmm. rabbits will spend the rest of their days running and 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 using their smarts and their trickery and their speed to get away from danger. And that's that's all the the exposition that you need to understand the film. See, I really loved this opening sequence. I thought the art style was particularly awesome. If the whole film was in this style, I would enjoy it quite much. Um, however, I had a hard oh, yeah. time understanding the names in this section. I think because it was a heavy British accent. Not heavy. I mean, come on. It's not like so hard to understand. But it was just, <laughs> it wasn't like Frank or Bob. They were <laughs> they were unique names that I'd never heard before. And so I, I couldn't quite catch the names. And so I felt like I was just trying to keep up. Like, what was that name again? And I focus on like, okay, I didn't really hear that name. Oh yeah, I gotta focus. Oh, yeah. You know, and so I I feel that I went into the realistic part of the film a bit jumbled just because I I was kinda confused about the names. And the names shouldn't matter, but I just want to know who these guys were. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, there absolutely there was actually kind of a new language that was created for this yeah. book. 
Yeah, I mean, he said it was something like he kind of wanted to, every couple names and every couple words. He would just kind of like throw a little bit more of a fluffy vibe to it. And it, to me, it sounded like a mixture of like <laughs> German and Russian. And I was like, which kind of made sense when you realize that like the characters were based off his 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 commanders in World War II. So it was like, OK, but I yeah, it was hard for me to get to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um the uh and then once you get in out of there and it, and um and you kind of get a little bit of feel for the the mythology of the rabbits and a little bit of nomenclature that you have to educate yourself on we get these beautiful beautiful lay background layouts mm. like beautiful paintings and um they pull off some pretty good multi-pane like mm-hmm. oh, yeah. the multi-planes like coming out and I say multi-pane and multi-plane because uh, people have said both so ha um <laughs> covering both your bases Yep. Or your plans. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah, um, just beautiful, beautiful, um, watercolor artwork. Reminds me of early, early proto animation when they would paint in the cells with watercolor and mm-hmm. just make it extremely artsy. Yeah, I loved the backgrounds of that. That's one of the first things that definitely stood out were the watercolors. And I just, it, I'm not an artist, but every time I see great watercolor, I'm just like, oh, I wish. I wish I could be an artist and draw in watercolor like that because it's so beautiful and it's definitely a throwback. It's, it's, it's something that's very characteristic of animation. I think, I think Walt Disney, uh, Tyrus Wong, he's very much known for his watercolor backgrounds in Bambi and some of the early Disney films. Um, and a lot of Disney films had that and continue to use it. And then even in in more modern Disney films, they, they bring the water style background back, you know, like Lilo and Stitch did it um, mm-hmm. because it evokes a feeling that you can't necessarily get. Um, obviously, this works for 2D, not so much CGI. I guess you could, but... Yeah, I loved it. And and with the multiplane, you're saying it was so great. There were there were certain parts where I'm like, oh my gosh, it really just looks like they have a big painting and they're just zooming in. Mm-hmm. Like specifically, specifically the, the very Our, first yeah, time, yeah, yeah. the very first time that they go into the the kind of the the tunnels for the bunnies, um, they like oh, zoom wow. in and then they pan over. They zoom in on another hole, pan over, and that's supposed to signify we're going deep into the cavern or into the, the tunnel. And then when they're leaving later it's like the opposite motion like zoom out pan over zoom in on this one spot pan out and we're back and uh, that was one scene where you know it was the 70s technology was what it was um Mm -hmm. uh so i I did feel that some of the effects weren't as masterful also the animation itself uh they had these beautiful backdrops and and you know landscapes and the animation while it was realistic and i appreciated the designs just the way they were animated didn't quite match up, which is yeah, a shame. I'll give you that. Well, anything, in my opinion, anything that came out in the 70s is one of those things that I'm like, uh, I don't know if I can handle you. What was wrong with the 70s? Seriously, so <laughs> I, I much don't know. Everything. I'm just <laughs> Everything. That poor decade. <laughs> I, I know this is a funny thing. I was actually, I'm coming up with like lists of the top 10 movies of each decade and Oh, it was hard to get. It was hard to even put ten together, and that I would even watch. I was like, oh. But you know, I think also it came down to the fact that Disney, anything that wasn't Disney, just hadn't learned it yet. And anybody who was the best of the best was at Disney, and so it was. It was one of those things that just kind of everybody's just trying to catch up and trying to just push the envelope a little bit more. Um, 
one cool thing though, like, I don't know, it was interesting. Like sometimes I would even look at it and I would see the texture of the paper that right. it was painted on. And I would, I just, actually, I thought it was a cool thing. Um, it's not necessarily something that I, that I'm sure they wanted, but I thought it was cool looking at it. It was like, this is just very together. Well, like Chelsea, like, uh, like Morgan said, I, uh, um, I thought it was a little distracting how they would do these extreme zooms in um, onto the background paintings. And, and you're right, you could totally see things like, you know, little specks of dust and artifacts and um, paint strokes. And that's at the same time off- authentic to the medium, but also distracting because um, the animation for the characters is so crisp and, and different. Yeah. yeah. It's like the 70s just inherited all the problems that happened <laughs> in the 60s. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh. So yeah, um and speaking of extreme close up, um the first time we see a bunny is this extreme close up detailed every every bit of fur painted in bunny rabbit and he does a little mm-hmm. blink, you know. And you zoom out and it's uh, it's our hero bunny Hazel and his paranoid psychic delusional friend Fiverr. <laughs> Complete with creepy delusional psychic visions. <laughs> I am loving this. I liked Fiverr. Oh, poor Fiverr. I liked Fiver. him a lot. He was my favorite He's such character, an underdog. And Hazel is such a great leader. I really mm-hmm. admire him. He's he's uh, He cares about everyone. I I don't know. He meets many other leaders in, in his travels, and he always comes out as the better bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, within the first two minutes, like, we've got Fiverr's like, oh, the field is turning to blood. Run! You're all gonna <laughs> die! And they're like, what's going on with Fiverr? He's going back <laughs> the edge. Anyway. <laughs> but in the, in the first uh, couple of minutes, we have already established the problems that they're having with their first quote unquote bunny society. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a tribe, uh, structure run by a chief. And he's surrounded by um, an arist- aristocratic class that is apparently privileged over the rest. As we see, they they're trying. Uh, Fiverr's trying to eat at um, some clovers or some some yummy greens, and they're like, "Ah, oh, you know, only the Owlsler gets this. You know that." <laughs> and there's definitely a, a class structure that underappreciates others, and um, it's very very interesting because uh, Hazel's like, you know what? Sometimes I think I just want to leave. You know what? I'm going to talk to the chief. And you got this very bureaucratic access to the chief. Like, they're like, uh, yeah, I'll see if I can get the chief for you. But, you know, it's it's trouble because he's busy, you know, being the chief. And then when we see the chief, he's, like, extremely comfortable and lazy. And he's really too comfortable to care about Hazel's Hazel and Fiverr's problems. Uh, but yeah, he does I care enough to... mother quite well. <laughs> like, yeah. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Yikes. But, but he does care. And I know there, there's those little tiny jokes, too, taking does. Um, but he does care enough, apparently, to detain the members of his own warren from leaving. Like, why does he care? <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's the good thing they have Bigwig, who's introduced pretty um, pretty quickly, who's also had enough of the chief because... My gosh, without Bigwig, they really wouldn't last long without this guy. 
I thought it was so funny. Here we are, super he's like, realistic and naturalistic in a way. And then he has this tuff of hair that wow, no one else it's really It's a genetic had. mutation. It's cute, but it's just, it, it, you could definitely tell him apart. Some of the other ones, well, Fiverr has a distinct look. He's kind of sickly almost, and like like he was the runt Very, of the group. Uh, the yeah. bigwig has oh, a tuff runt, of hair. The runt's coming up later. Oh, Pip-ping. yes. So it's just <laughs> it, interesting because you for the most part, they're rabbits and they're pretty uniform, but we want to distinguish them as characters while still maintaining a realistic style. So the way that they do that's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about, um, let's talk about a, a big theme that I saw. It's that uh, maybe the reason why people don't like this film so much is that it doesn't, doesn't make humans the main antagonists. Like mm-hmm. humans aren't evil enough. We should in this love film. that then. <laughs> I I think it's a Someone extremely refreshing. <laughs> I loved after, it. Um, Once upon a forest or whatever. Oh gosh. But anyway, um, it's not that they're not antagonists, and they do they do cultivate land that destroys these rabbit warren warrens, and they do hunt, and they do sick their dogs on them, and they do keep them in cages, and um and they but do, they do set save them. snares, um. And they, um, oh yeah, the dogs do, yeah, dogs are, are friends in the end. Um, and the, the rabbits make comments that they're like, oh, humans, it's a man thing. Humans are, are horrible. They'll never stop until they've ruined the earth. And I think, I think instead of making them the villains, they, they chose to just add them as one of the enemies to the rabbits. And I really respect that. And I like that it, it turns from what could be an ecological message to a more, wide general message about society as a whole mm-hmm. i found that refreshing and that's another reason why i recommend this film but yeah bigwig he's awesome <laughs> i like bigwig because he he used to belong he's he, he's like an ex-soldier you know he used to be in the mm-hmm. security force for the chief and he has this very uh, like when they're crossing the river and trying to get away from the dog <laughs> i love that part where there's that one rabbit who all he can do is complain he's like there's a rabbit coming out of the forest. Well, that does it. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> well, that does it. Anyway, and then Bigwig is, he says, you know, those who can swim, swim. The rest have to make out as best they can. You know, he has a, a very Darwinistic attitude, but Hazel immediately um, has an immediate rebuttal saying, no, we have to look out for everyone. We can We can find a way to get everyone to survive. And apart from that, I really like the light and reflection effects on the water. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool, yeah. No, I really liked Hazel's character arc because he started out just as like a normal guy. Like he was a normal one of the, just one of the rest. And then through little things, he just became step by step where everyone's like, Hazel, that's something a chief would do. You're becoming more and more like a chief. Even, even Bigwig was like, huh, Hazel raw. Yeah. Like I would ever call him yeah, my call, chief. Yeah. Hazel Raw. And then at the very end, he's like, I told my chief I would hold this. And that's when the other rabbit was like, what? Um, but it, I mean, it was a cool, it was a really cool t- transition to show that, you know, it was through being courteous and being, uh, being the guy who looked out for everybody else and maybe not the biggest guy of the group or maybe even not set up as the smartest guy of the group, but He's just the one that tried to do everything right and looked out for everybody, and he b- gained that leadership. Um, he gained that trust with everyone. Yeah, and I don't think they really... Yeah, it's weird because there wasn't this huge thing where they didn't trust Bigwig, although even though I think Bigwig turned out to be a, an anti-hero, 
And then, um, Hazel, of course, um, his, his growth to be, to be not chief, but leader, um, is, is pretty interesting. I don't think he ever aspired to be a leader. He just kind of wanted to do what's best for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, we get our first introduction at the dog. The dog will always run after the rabbit. (laughs) Remember that. (laughs) And so they kind of move on to the next phase. It's, this is kind of a, not really a traditional Western three act structure in, in what we're used to with like Disney and Pixar, but it's more of an odyssey of terror (laughs) at the rabbits are constantly put in more and more and even more endangering situations. (laughs) And I think the, the, one of the creepiest parts in the film is this like second, like Warren that they stumble across the one where everything seems Mm -hmm. perfectly fine, but and the, the second Warren, you know, the, the tunnels where they have the rabbits and the, the creepy bunnies were like, oh, yeah, um, I'll just leave you. Um, I'll just leave you alone and, and watch and wait. <laughs> you know, um, I've looked on online discussion boards and stuff, and it's really hard um, to put this in historical context. Some people think that this rabbit hole was a symbolism of communism. Um, because for a couple of details, for one, uh, the rabbits there, they reject the, the mythology of Frith. Mm-hmm. They, they think those stories are boring. Um, and so, uh, more an anti-religious state could tie into, um, you know, socialism. But I really don't think it's that. I think it's something more sinister that we don't see that often in history. And that's, um, the illusion of comfort, but it's maintained by a, a prison state where the population is systematically controlled. You know, the the rabbit goes, we have plenty of empty burrows. That should have been a dead giveaway. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that we have rabbits betraying their own kind to protect themselves, it's it's so creepy. Um, And there's a a great dose of fatalism in these rabbits when they say things like, well, we must accept our fate. You know, we have to be here and we can't escape. And sooner or later, the snares will kill us. But, you know, c'est la vie. And it's it's just a very very kind of creepy setting. Tell me about it. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is where Fivel comes in, and he's just like, like this is one of those moments that I'm like, Fivel, you're awesome, because I, I, he's not so much. He's kind of the <laughs> guy that can see truth, and he doesn't have the he doesn't have these little things just kind of like throwing him from side to side in um of what's real and what's what isn't he can see spiritual truth and he i love his quote where it's like it's like a mist like being deceived and losing our way and it's like a distraction i'm like wow that was cool and i can just see it's like the guy who or guy or girl who never leaves out of the parental <laughs> assistance, <laughs> you know, it's like they never move out of the basement and they're always there. They're thinking life is great, but really they're like, honey, your sense of reality is kind of warped. <laughs> well, yeah. If you're just sitting in your ba- kid, in your parents' basement playing video games all day where you are transforming hey. into somebody else, <laughs> you know, like a second life sort of thing where you're disconnecting from the reality to enter Ooh, this, that's a whole this different fake level. reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's it, it's it a puts, it's a fake reality because it puts a, they it, have plenty, but at any moment they could be killed. Yeah, it miss you from seeing what truly is the situation, the the reality of the situation. Yeah, and the situation's about to get worse, but um, they really up the creepiness because all the rabbits are just sitting back and and, and looking at them and watching them, and they're like, hey. This is pretty good. It's not poison. All right. <laughs> Eating. And then they're doing this awesome, awesome 
um, it's like a, a revolution around the rabbits. It's like a pan that's, um, you know, focused on them and, and kind of revolving around them. And I, I don't know exactly what it's called in, in layout, but, um, you know, you can see in the foreground the rabbits staring at them, and then you can see all around them are these rabbits watching them while they eat, and something is going to happen. And then, um, you know, Fiverr runs out, and he's like, I'm out of here. And um, and uh, and he runs, and Bigwig is trying to help him, and then dun-dun-dun. I didn't know that the that the poster for this film was actually a, a picture of Bigwig caught in the snare. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But that's an there. extremely disturbing sequence. Yes. Because he is, like, slowly dying, mm-hmm. and the rabbits are trying to figure out how to help him and trying to get him to, like, stay calm and be like, hey, remember what they told you in Owsler? Like, how do you get out of these things? Like, you know, what's your, what's your secret technique, you know, special forces technique for getting out of these? And... <laughs> You know, and it's um, it's whew, very lots of blood and and lots of uh, very creepy imagery there. Well, that's kind of our first introduction to where the violence, where this movie's going. First blood. Fur's gonna fly. <laughs> Fur's, Fur's gonna, gonna fly. <laughs> I, you know, and one thing that I thought was really interesting was that through the whole thing, like you always have, like you have the first responders or like the first acceptors, the person who sees it. So that's Fiverr or Fival. What what is this? Fiverr? Fiverr. Fiver. Okay. That's a mouse. <laughs> so Fiverr. Fival. So he he's the one that sees all these things coming. And then, you know, Hazel's the one that accepts it and responds and says, okay, we're going to join in. We're going to, you know, take this for what it is and keep moving. And then you have the people that follow around. And they don't really want to go, but they think they probably should because everybody else says that they should. And so they're like, okay, so they go. But the whole time they're like, ugh, we should go back. Ugh, it's raining. Ugh. We would have been better off if we would have just, like, gone back to the to the place where it was going to get destroyed. and uh, it, Oh, we, nice layman and Lamuel. <laughs> it was just like, what is this? And then at this point, they just was like, ah, well, we should just go in there and just take it over. You know, and I'm just thinking, um, oh, yeah. kill them all and take out. over the war for ourselves. That's going to be great. This will just be another face on the same system of government. I'm like, wow, I'm getting really political in this. <laughs> Well, but, no, yeah, you cannot you cannot create a free society by conquest, you know, alone. Well, and also like people just go into different things and they think I can run this system better. It's not about the person running it, it's about the system itself. The system is flawed. The system needs to change. The system is breaking down as that one uh Heisen Heisenflay, the one uh girl rabbit in the last Warren she says, she literally says that the system is breaking down. Oh, really? I yeah, that. She says I, watched, that, uh, I had to watch this one twice to, to like really get it. <laughs> oh man, good for you, Elsie. <laughs> she's a she's a committed animation. She's addict. on fire. It goes political, Props. and I'm like, what's going on here? Of the day. <laughs> yeah, M- uh, episode MVP goes to Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, and let's take a break and and um, talk about how well acted this film is. Tell the us. Cheesiness just abounds in anime <laughs> as, far, as far as voice acting goes. But um, I am I do not pretend to know anything about uh, British cinema. I do know a few names. Um, John Hurt, of course, uh, a lot of people should know. It's so well acted, and they, I really think they got the cream of the crop as far as voice talent for this film. And one of the parts that really stands out to me is, is um, Pipkin, 
the smallest rabbit. He's even smaller and roly polier than, than <laughs> fiber. And, um, I love him because all of them have their own personality. There's some who are very helpful and very like, go get them. There's some who are very doubtful. And then uh, Pipkin is just like, I don't care. I just don't want to die. And I am not <laughs> sticking my neck out for nothing. <laughs> and, um, and Hazel actually kind of tricks him to go in the farm. He's like, I need you to go with me. He's like, is it, dangerous no is it is it safe well of course it is <laughs> and then uh, of course he slowly finds out that there's cats and dogs and humans and he absolutely hates putting himself in danger and i, I really love pipkin for some reason he's a fun little guy and of course i love him because he's voiced by uh, roy kinnear I, I don't know if i'm pronouncing his last name right but he uh, played mr salt in willy wonka <laughs> which one was he Oh, he's great. He's like, he's the dad. The big factory's been shelling chocolate bars from dawn oh. to dusk. Veruca like the original Mr. Willy Wonka? Yeah. Well, the, the original film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not exactly totally based on the book, but yeah, I loved his character. <laughs> but anyway, um, I recognized him, and that's like the only time I've ever seen him in a, in a film, or recognized him in a film, besides, of course, Willy Wonka. And, um, so yeah, we go to the farm and they meet um the pale rabbits, you know, the white ones. And um they're in cages, of course. And then we get this cat. Is it me or is that cat very poorly animated compared to the rabbits? Oh, it looks weird. Yes, it's it's Might as well not, be like Fritz the cat it's running. It's not around. on model. Like you should just Oof, not on model. That is the <laughs> ultimate dishonor for critiquing an animated film. No, Why but too much dishonor. If you were to pause it at certain portions, I mean, it's <laughs> unrecognizable as a cat. It's it's so mm. bad, and I think it's just because they spent so much of their time on get, making sure the rabbits looked decent, which they did look good. I mean, it, uh, now compared to the cat, I, I don't know why I was given throwing so much shade on the the rabbits. They look great, but the cat, <laughs> oh, boy, help us. Boy, they. <laughs> Well, let's go back to those other rabbits, the white rabbits. Like, oh, yeah. if you look at just their body language and how they interact with the others, they've never known fear. They've never known anything more than just sitting in their cage, being played with with the you know with the little girl. Takes them out every yeah, once in a while. Yeah, they get taken out to the field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's interesting. Like, there wasn't really. It's just really interesting. All of the different societal changes that you go on based on their environment. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, um, oh, what was I going to say? I, I realized watching this, and Chelsea, maybe you can back me up because you saw it twice. Did they ever <laughs> successfully go back and rescue those rabbits, or did they just leave them? They just left them because they weren't... Um, I well, mean, they got captured again by the humans, and then they right. didn't run. They were right. out of the cage, and they didn't run. Exactly, because they don't have that... They don't, they don't have that they desire don't... for freedom, or maybe they don't know any better. Well, yeah, they've never like known any better. And that's like some people who are, you know, in... Safety they or in, to be in, in bondage. Nice, nice situations. Yeah, or bondage. They're in bondage, but they don't know because it's not truly that bad. So they mm-hmm. have an opportunity to go to something better. It, 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 it's not even a consideration because, like, why? I don't understand what you're trying to get deep. me to do. Like, what's the difference? Right there. But yeah, um, apparently there was a, um, in 1999, they started a cartoon series that was very, very much more um, family friendly. Um, and I wonder if they ever had an episode where they went back and got those rabbits. A cartoon series. So this is like post-movie. Here's what yeah, happened. Yeah, this is like very much post-movie. 
Who cares? They're just CG buddies that rabbit. eat clover. And, no, no, no. It wasn't a CG, but it was 2D. But like one of the rabbits had like this, like this tuft of fur around its face and like had a monocle of some kind. I was like, what is this? Oh, brother. Yeah, not canon. Well, it was by the director. Not, yeah. Still not canon. <laughs> Maybe the director, but it's not the author. True. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, very, very well. well neither acted. was this. <laughs> oh yeah. Very, very well acted. And then, oh my gosh, the mo- one of the I think the the most terrifying part of the film is coming up, where they run into one of the old Owsler guys from the first Warren, and he tells them about. His troubles. He was there when they destroyed the first Warren, and they didn't just destroy them. They stopped up the holes so that the rabbit suffocated. And the the sequence showing his memory of the rabbit suffocating is so vivid and so Mm -hmm. disgusting. It it was extremely unsettling and very disturbing. But I loved it. It was just so <laughs> ugh, scary. Like the, they visualize it so where the rabbits are so gasping for air that they're turning into gas themselves, that they're just withered away and just piling up in 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 piles, blocking up the passageways. Ugh. Isn't that horrifying? Like claustrophobia is uh-huh. like okay. I I would hate being buried alive as much as the next guy, but that just really can make a person claustrophobic. That scene. Yeah. Don't tell me you don't hate being buried alive. Like, <laughs> it's well, like on Holly, tra- Hotel Transylvania. Like the whole like getting stabbed with a wooden stake thing. Yeah, who wouldn't that kill? Who wouldn't that kill? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, and then, we should do that one next. And then, and the, yeah, we should. And then they, or we could save it for our Halloween episode. Ah, oh, yes. Um, or they, uh, heck, there'll be a sequel by then. Um, Ooh, we could do both. Yeah, a double header. Back to back. Well. Anyway, back to the rabbits. Um, and then that's we get their iconic exchange. You know, man has always hated us. No, they just destroyed us because we got in their way. They'll never stop until they've spoiled the earth. It's very interesting how they feel about the humans because at the same time they they resent them and they hate that they hate them, but at the same time they understand that it's not personal. Yeah. Man, man and development is just a uh, a machine that will just keep on going. But do you know what, like, rabbits dig? Humans and- <laughs> <laughs> are human. the only ones that excavate. <laughs> I'm like, we make the earth what what we need of it. And just putting it out there, I feel like we should definitely always be good stewards of what we have. But, I mean, also I, I kind of resent the fact that they throw all man into one clump. And I'm like, I am not that way. Never once have I stopped up your hole. Well, Come on now. It's like in um, it's like in Once Upon a Forest. There's that one human who showed compassion and let the little hedgehog boy go. Run <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they're, they're around naked. <laughs> they're not so bad after all. I need a smoke. But anyway, um, and then but there was one human who told the cat to get off of Hazel right when yeah. the cat was about to kill him. And Which so cool. there are different humans. Goodness. There are exceptions. Well, it was it was really cool because. Frith, like there's that over voice at that point in time when he's just saying, if I, when um, Hazel is saying, if I can change my life for theirs. And he said, you know, this has happened a lot. A lot of people have wanted to trade their lives for somebody else, but what has to be has to be. And then, so it kind of like makes you believe that like everybody's going to (laughs) die. But in the end, those little things come and save the day. I just thought it was really cool. Yep. And then they, they find, they make it to Watership Down finally. That was easy. 
<laughs> yeah, and then they're just like sitting around. <laughs> now what? And guess who f- plops out of the air? I love his little theme. His you theme get was <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I love him. I can't tell if he's French or Russian, but he's all crazy. <laughs> First thing they say to him, are you okay? Piss off! <laughs> That's my favorite part. <laughs> there are chicks. You no bring chicks. <laughs> I love that guy. He's like the best character. Yeah. And that's when the, that's when Hazel realizes, like, oh crap, we forgot to bring along females. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the closest thing to a you know, Nephi much a, a sidekick, a goofy sidekick that we're gonna get. Oh no, kidding! Well, they did bring um, girls, but the girls just got killed along the way. Instantly, girls got, are weaker. Yeah, they instantly got just cut. kidding. Yeah, they, they are fact of that. life. They are the girls are weaker. They're <laughs> in general. The average girl is not as strong as the average guy, and that, and that was proven in that situation. I read that in my in my sports diversity book. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So um, they forgot to bring along females, so they think that their answer lies with those uh, cage rabbits, and so they go on a little a little mission to get them out. And it, it's it, it's interesting. I, re- I really like Kihar. <laughs> Big water. <laughs> he tell me plan. I know plan. <laughs> He's so good. Um, but anyway, and so they go off to you know bust these little bunnies out of jail, and then everything goes wrong. First, there's the dog, and then there's the cat, and then there's the humans, and Hazel gets shot. And um, I remember um, the commentary, or not the commentary, but the interviews. Uh, Rosen wanted. He wanted there to be this moment where the moment Hazel got shot is when Fiverr realizes it, he, you know, psychically. And there's, he wanted to, there to be a shot where he gets, um, he, he gets, you know, hit by the shotgun blast and Fiverr looks up and realizes what's happened. But it doesn't really happen, although he does kind of go on this kind of spiritual journey going after him. And that's what, you know, that, and then enter trippy musical interlude. <laughs> Correction, this is not Simon and Garfunkel. It's just simply Art Garfunkel performing Bright Eyes, which wasn't written by him, by the way, if your friends ask. Did you know that this song was a it was a financing requirement back then? To finance the film, they had to have musical um, like musical breaks. Oh. Yeah, isn't that weird? Thank, thank goodness that's gone. But Yeah, isn't I- that weird? <laughs> like, where to get the backing for your film, you had, for animated film, you had to have songs. Ugh. Ugh. And I would just do like Megamind and have a bunch of like classic hard rock. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny. Yeah, and so uh, "Bright Eyes" is the the song by uh, that Art Garfunkel sings when uh, Fiverr's going after Hazel. And um, it was interesting. Art Garfunkel didn't like the song, and he wouldn't include it in his newest album. You know, <laughs> back in the day. Um, but then the song made number one in Britain. <laughs> Like, oh, so he crap. Went, and so he went back and he destroyed all the old copies of his album and made a new version of the album that included the song. No way. <laughs> After, yeah, he did. Well, oh, you, you know, wow. Of course, he could find the, album, the original. But yeah, he totally restarted his album. He was like, oh, just kidding. <laughs> We're going to put Bright Eyes in it. Please. So, you guys like this. Please so buy it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be like Idina Menzel saying, um, no, I'm not going to include Let It Go in my album. I and then, oh, wait, 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 wait. Can you still put it into my album? <laughs> <laughs> Can we still put it in there? Really, please? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah. One little thing right after this is like when Holly comes back out and when they're they're like, okay, now we're going to, we have to. Holly's his name. That's right. Yeah. Um, they're like, oh yeah. So the girls at the, at the farmhouse didn't work out. So where are we going to find others? And so Holly just like pops out of nowhere. And that's one of the things that I think was kind of missing in this whole thing is the, they didn't, they only had like certain spots of the film where they actually had other characters talking or even in the shot or anything and so you kind of forgot about him and so when holly popped back up again i was like oh yeah he's here um (laughs) i thought that that was it could have done a little bit better than that but whatever um yeah holly he's just like comes into and does his whole like i escaped the russian mob um story (laughs) oh (laughs) yeah this poor this poor rabbit has been through a lot yeah. And uh and this introduces the third quote unquote society that they encounter is um a fascist dictatorship under Woundwort and he is surrounded by um his military officers who are fanatically um uh supportive of him. And um it's very very much like uh, this is where you get your uh your Stalins and your Hitlers. And Mao uh, and yeah, Mao and oh, he's beyond. And well, yeah, he's such beyond. as and so and so forth, and world peace. And um, <laughs> he has total control over the Warren, and he does it with an iron fist. Everything out of the ordinary is to re- be reported. Everyone must be permanently marked so that we can know how to know when and where you're supposed to be. You know, um, if you you know, we'll beat you up and we'll put you um, out uh, as an example to the others during souffle or whatever it's called. <laughs> First souffle. But anyway, um, Woundward is probably the most obvious example of, of real-life tyranny and fascism. Mm-hmm. And so um, very, very interesting. And uh, he's very ruthless. And he's not like the chief at the beginning. He is not afraid to get his paws dirty and and kill himself, you know, by, you know, by himself. He is very, very capable of fighting. He's like the Darth Vader of this film. <laughs> Darth Woundwort. <laughs> yeah, you, you wouldn't expect him to actually put up a good fight, but he does. He almost gets the better of Bigwig, that's for sure. It, it's very interesting. He has patrols around, you know. Um, and then there's um, Heisenflay. She was the one who said, the system is breaking down. We can't do this anymore. We are so overcrowded that we can't produce offspring, which is crazy. I was like, heh, the old joke about rabbits breeding finally got the best of him. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is bad. This is tragic. So yes, overpopulation, um, th- thinly spread resources, and um, not even the illusion of freedom. It, it is slavery under a dictatorship. Heisenflay, I really liked her right when Bigway comes over to her and it's just like, hey, we are getting out and you believe me, you know who I am and this is what's going to happen. And she just, she's like... But my courage and spirit, it's so much less than it was. And I thought it was really kind of interesting. Like a, it's kind of like a man's search for meaning. It reminded me of that book mm. and how just in those types of pressures, how the human spirit just kind of like breaks down sometimes or most of the time. <laughs> um, but then later on, when he comes in and he says, no, we're going to go here. We're going to, we've got this plan. And she's like, yes, I believe you. I, 
sometimes I can tell when things are true. I can see it. It's a high down with trees. And I think it's interesting. It was like kind of brings back to the man's search for meaning. Like the, the only thing that got him out was that he was always thinking of his family and his children and the book that he was going to write and be able to teach from the experience. And um, when the vision like of the future comes is when that confidence comes as well. Hmm. So Very I thought cool. that was really cool. Hmm. It had so many of these moments. So I was like, that's so cool. Go you. Yeah. Yeah. And so they hatch, hatch a, a plan and Kihar is going to play a part of it. I love, I love when big was ta- <laughs> talking, you know, all stealthy with, with <laughs> Kihar. He's like, listen carefully. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, good plan. Good plan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes over and they're like, Hey, why were you talking to that seagull? That seagull. I, wasn't talking to him. <laughs> Everyone heard you. <laughs> and um, they get ready to mobilize and escape that warren. And then the thunder, you know, goes off. Thunder! Uh, little, little ACDC it reference. Those little 80s to me. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a sure sign that someone is about to die. But not really until like 10 minutes after the thunder strikes. So it's kind of a fake. Thunderstruck! Oh, wow, 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 wow. Anyway, well, okay. I really like the part where Woundwort catches him at the at the underpass. He's like, "All right, now you've done it. I want Bigwig because he's the one who betrayed me." And they're about to fight, you know. And you get that flash of thunder, and it's it, they um, they paint in this like cross hatching texture for just half a second to to visualize the lightning striking and and that stark contrast of shadows and then Keyhart comes in at, at the perfect time and scares the the GBs out of uh <laughs> out of uh woundwort oh for frith's sake <laughs> <laughs> and um and saves them so they can escape and um I like that that was pretty cool and then boy this is really where the fur starts flying literally yeah that was crazy well these last 10 minutes are just a blood fest, yeah. I mean, because like this whole a time, battle royale. People were saying, "Oh, watership down. It's oh, it's horrible. Like, I can't believe you guys are doing that. I, I thought you guys don't really, you know, do films like that. And really, we don't do films that are rated R. Uh, and this got a rated U. So of course we do it. So, <laughs> so anyways, people were always saying like, "Oh, watership down. It's amazing, but man, it's bloody." And so this whole time, there were a few things here and there. You know, with the the new they're, that you know they got scraped, or when he got caught in the snare, or I'm like, hey, okay, like that's bad, but not that bad. I, I don't know what everyone was talking about. Then this happens, and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> so, it was like, uh, it's like my dad ruthless. was my dad was watching Band of Brothers, and see, he's a thing like. Anytime that anything comes up, if it talks about anything that he would consider inappropriate, it's like, what are we watching? Get this out of here. Get this filth out of my house type thing. Um, but then like I come upstairs and I watch, I see that he's watching, like it, <laughs> he's watching Band of Brothers where like every other word is dropping the F-bomb and it's like, dad, what is this? And he's like, it's history. It's real. <laughs> okay. Yeah, man. Go see Fury. So, the best dang World War II movie ever. We are but, all yeah. about keeping it real. <laughs> keeping it real. And, um, yeah, Woundwort is, he's at first, he's like, all right, give us all the people that ran away and Bigwig. And they're like, no, nah, 
And then he's like, well, give me Bigwig. No. And he's like, all right, we're just going to go in there and kill everyone. <laughs> and uh, he vows to slash the throat of every bunny in that little warren. And uh, and Hazel, thank goodness, saves the day. Forget the rabbits in the cages. Forget the mates. we got to get the dog in here. <laughs> <laughs> It's 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 bad watching the dog tear up all the rabbits when he gets there. Yeah. But at the same time, he must be having the time of his life. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? They're not even running. Oh, my gosh. Woohoo! <laughs> and uh, Woundward is like, you fools, don't run. Dogs aren't dangerous. And then he turns around and he's face to face with the dog. And Woundward is so hardcore. The last you see of him is he's jumping up to attack the dog himself. Indeed. And um, they explained that they never really found his body, so they don't really know what happened to him. Yes, Jeez. it's left, uh, you know, ambiguous. So what do you think? Sequel. Do you think he'll be there for the sequel and he'll be the bad villain? Or yeah, please no sequel. Do you think he... I think he got his comeuppance, but it was more of a... It was more of a legendary way of dying, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just was obliterated by the dog. Yep, that's or maybe he got wounded, screen. you know, limped off screen and and died privately, or something like that. See, this is I think this An movie is going death. to have all of the best deaths in animation. I mean, we were talking about like our top ten animated <laughs> top deaths, ten animated deaths, and like most of the time they're falling or you know getting blown to smithereens. Who gets but blown to smithereens? <laughs> wait, wait, Chelsea. This Tai Lung gets blown to smithereens. Oh, well, yes, that's true. And uh, Woundwort's reason for dying is just question mark. We don't know what happened to him, you know? It's too intense. But they make it seem like that. it was awesome. <laughs> so, well, yeah. On that note. <laughs> and then on that note, everything's fine in the end. Yeah. And uh, everybody's it. happy. And then in the, at the very end, Hazel gets called to the bunny afterlife by... The black rabbit, um, and you know, Harold end to his paradise by Frith himself. Um, Question. Yeah. What I mean, all of the other rabbits seemed like they really feared the black rabbit. Yeah, he's like the Grim Reaper for them. Well, yeah, it's the Grim Reaper, but it's just interesting. I mean, well, it's going to the same place, technically, like it seemingly. Um, do you think there's a bunny paradise and a bunny hell? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe the fact that Hazel, like, lived his life well, and so he's, you know, his generations upon generations will be fine afterward, and so now he can just move on. Um, So that's cool, but then everybody else is, they're just not prepared for that. Uh, Do you remember uh, the legend of the Deathly Hallows? How yes. one of the bro- one of the brothers was able to escape death for so long that when he met death, uh, at the end of his life, um, he went with him happily because they were mm-hmm. equals. Yep. And uh, that's a really, really interesting kind of mm-hmm. spiritual message in there. And I think that was the kind of the same thing with Hazel. He had the, um, what did he have? The the uh, invisibility cloak <laughs> for so long. Mm-hmm. Yep. Finally, he was just like, I give up. And uh, he kind of just gives up, and his spirit goes on to frolic with the black rabbit. And so, maybe the black rabbit only appears to um, give a, an honorable death to some rabbits. I don't know, but yeah, definitely part of their little mythology. Mm. And uh, and that's it, folks. That's that's pretty much it. Um, kind of an abrupt ending, and um, not a lot of heroes die in the film. Mm-hmm. We think Bigwig's a goner. 
a couple, a few times and then Hazel was shot and then, you know, gosh knows what's going to happen to Fiverr all the time. He's seems to be <laughs> constant danger. It's um, cold. The dog is coming. Oh yeah. And he has that weird trip out. What is that? I, did, I didn't understand that. I, like, I why think was it he was, cold? Well, it wasn't. He was having a, he was having a vision or a meltdown and because he was, I think he was, um, having a vision of the dog coming and killing mm-hmm. and the destruction that that caused. Hmm. And so, um, I think what he did, and then he started to break the spirit of the soldier rabbits who were trying to get in, you know, the ones from mm. Eferva who were trying to get in and kill them. And they were like, what? Did he say a dog? Ah, God, I don't, I don't want to fight a dog. Yeah, me neither. Dogs are horrible. crazy down there. Yeah, they they always have things. They're like thinking that everything. They had, like... that, they had that bird that turned into a lightning bolt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Fiverr, his, his little gift comes in handy. His spiritual gift. And there we have it. Like it, it wraps up pretty nicely and. And um, it's sad that Hazel goes, but at the same time, we know that he died happy, you know, and peaceful. Yeah, I mean, that is a sad moment because you realize he made this deal because he needed to save the people. I mean, that's what made him such a great leader is that he was able to really be a servant of the people and lead them to the ultimate good, which was to get them to Watership Down. But it's sad to see him go because he he did make that deal. You're right. Okay, time to lay down and die <laughs> yeah and so uh, last month uh it was announced that the script for a cg reboot was announced now this is a cg reboot i could get behind introduce what? a whole new generation yeah. to watership down uh, there's like so much behind this story for me because one really? i just hear reboot and i just think of the millions of reboots that disney is currently doing oh i think of that uh, cartoon from the 80s well, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> but and then I'm thinking, okay, did we need a reboot of Watership Down? Yes, it's amazing. Maybe it's lesser known. Um, it's it's very bloody. And are they going to reboot it so it's very non-kid friendly and even more yes. bloody? They have yes. to. It, it has to be even more traumatizing. And Rated I think T for teen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it will be. It'll be PG thirteen. Whatever the equivalent sure. is out there in Britain. And I'm just interested to see where this goes and how it ends up being marketed. It has a lot of potential to really break (laughs) the animation is for kids mold that is still to this day so prevalent. If they do a CG reboot, I will allow that they use Benedict Cumberbatch for one of the (laughs) reasons. Also, Daniel Radcliffe should be in it and his character should die. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But anyway, um, I know it'll be awesome. I, as long as they keep to the central themes of the film, and that is the gritty circle of life, you know, everyone will come will come out to to kill you, and it has to have that message about freedom, and that it cannot be maintained without equality. It cannot be maintained through fear, and it cannot be maintained through um, oppression and murder. And uh, that's something that Hazel understands and what makes him such a terrific leader and hero in this film. I mean, there's Bigwig, who's the anti-hero, who who manages to get things done and fight all the battles. But it's Hazel who really had the smarts and the cunning uh, and his, you know, rabbitness to really persevere and succeed. Mm -hmm. And that's why he got the most honorable ending in the film, in my opinion. All right. What shall we rate it? Dude, I want to give it five stars so badly, but I'm going to give it... um, (laughs) I'm going to give it four stars. Uh, do I do four or three and a half? Because the quality of the animation in the end is not as 
good as other films, but they did the best from what they had. That's evident from watching the interviews and watching the film. So four stars, yeah. I'm going to give it four stars. I I think the most important thing is the story and to see if the story can carry the film. Really, the animation is just secondary and, and a nice bonus plus. Um, so the story, it was really interesting. I really appreciated the themes that it was able to explore, um, how how gritty it was and bloody. <laughs> I'm very, I am grateful for this bloody movie. Uh, just because it's new, <laughs> it's something we haven't seen before too often, and it really breaks the mold that animation is for kids without being lewd, which I appreciated. And uh, I think this is a movie that really you need to see multiple times to really appreciate. And having seen it only once, I feel that I am only really on level one of understanding this movie. But now that I have that foundation, I'm really interested to go back later and and watch it again and really appreciate on a deeper level. And I think it could be maybe a four and a half stars movie at that point, watching it on multiple occasions. But for me, this current one-time viewer... Four stars. Well, maybe someday you'll get to level two. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> More freaking learned quick attack. Power up. What? Morgan's <laughs> evolving. Press B, cancel. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah. Chelsea. So I'm gonna give this movie four stars as well. Like Morgan, I feel like repeated viewings would add a lot more a lot better appreciation i feel like i'd even loved like i said earlier i'd love to read the book i'd love to just know a lot more so i could feel like i really i own this material but as is i feel like there's a lot of little things that could have been improved upon as like the quality of the viewing itself um but in general the the fact that it was such a a thought-provoking movie was something that I really enjoyed and is something that I would be willing to invest a little bit more time into to be able to understand completely like what is going on. So I would highly recommend this movie to many people, um, especially if you're one that likes thought-provoking type films. Um, yeah, I four stars for me. Okay, we are going to go into our voicemails, and I am so glad that we got three voicemails for this episode. Um, it's been sad since we dropped the mailbag, and we, we don't do emails anymore because I loved hearing everyone's thoughts. And so I'm really grateful that people are able to still send us their voicemail. Uh, I know some people don't like to hear themselves uh, on, you know, being recorded, or it's a lot of, a little extra work for some people. But so thank you, thank you, thank you for those who did. And, hey, we're playing all three, so it's an easy way to get on the show. So here is a long voicemail from Gemma. Hey, 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 it's Gemma. Long time no see. Uh, I wanted to try a different greeting from the usual. Hi, guys. <laughs> um, I needed to do a voicemail for your Watership Down episode because I have opinions, and a lot of them, and it's going to take some time. So buckle in. I have a history with this film. 
story, book, whatever. Um, I first discovered it when I was 10 years old. Um, rabbits my, were my favourite animal at the time. I absolutely loved them. I owned a couple of rabbits. Um, and I watched this Channel 4 programme called The 100 Greatest Cartoons. And they showed clips of Watership Down. And the clips they showed really freaked me out. Like, I just couldn't understand how you could make such a horrible, horrible film about rabbits dying and getting in fights and being ripped apart and everything. It was really horrific for me. And yet I was really strangely curious um, about it. I actually started reading the book, but um, I never got around to finishing it. I think it was too hard for me to read at the time. And so all of a sudden this weird phobia kicked in, this weird childhood phobia where um, I never wanted to have anything to do with Watership Down. It was just... I got the idea that this was a film so horrible and so, so traumatic that I would be scarred if I saw it, knowing my huge love for rabbits and everything like that. So I vowed never to watch it and never to have anything to do with it. Ten years later, and um, and uh, I've become a part of the animation community, and I heard that the film's actually pretty good, and it's become a, somewhat of a cult classic. And I thought, you know, I'm a grown woman now. <laughs> I'll probably appreciate it a lot more, maybe as a work of art more than the story or anything. So um, I decided to read the book before the film because um, I'd already started reading the book 10 years ago. I thought I might as well um, finally finish it. And so as I was reading the book, I was expecting lots of death and lots of sadness and trauma and just every single bad thing happening one after the other. There was none of that. Like the book is no worse than Disney, I'd say. And um, Don Bluth, could have made a good film adaptation of this, a good animated film adaptation of this, because it's no worse than his work. Um, I genuinely didn't find anything too bad for it. It's it's quite, it's all right for kids. It's all right for all ages, really. It wasn't sad. It wasn't too scary. It was just, it was it was a good book. I did enjoy it. Um, so after I read it, I thought, that there's going to be a lot of changes in the film because it wasn't sad at all. And obviously all I'd heard about this film and all I could remember from my past is that this film is horrific and violent and horribly, horribly sad and traumatising. So um, I eventually watched the movie. Um, I came to the conclusion that it's not traumatising because it's depressing. It's traumatising because it is terrifying. Those last ten minutes of the film... Dear God, do not show your children that. Like, they seriously don't need that. You can, I could see now why I was so traumatized. You can read them a book because there's like, you don't have that imagery right in front of you. But yeah, don't show your kids those last 10 minutes. Dear God. Um, okay, let me get into, uh, specifics of the film. Um, my biggest problem with it is that there are absolutely beautiful backgrounds in this absolutely stunning so beautiful you can see every brush stroke and every bit of art that those artists put so much time and hard work and effort into and then you've got this horrid animation in front of them so horrible these characters are ugly these artists can't animate <laughs> like i felt like i needed to watch bambi a hundred times more to cleanse my eyes of the horrible animal 
character animation and when they're getting all violent and like fighting and everything it's it looks worse because the characters are already ugly so um yeah that's a huge problem for me and yeah i was kind of hypnotized by by the combination of beauty and horror in the visuals that i had to keep watching the actors have been locked up in a closet recording their lines for this film. Um, though that, I think that was quite common in um, 1970s British animation. <laughs> so uh, I, I was I was prepared for that. Um, the story's fine. It's basically an abridged version of the book. Um, they took out a lot of the storytelling about the great big rabbit. I my, his name. Uh, escapes me at this moment and then um, they added a lot more violence which seriously wasn't needed those last 10 minutes dear god um i wanted this to be longer they didn't need to cut out a lot of the stuff from the book um i wanted more of the characters interacting which you get in the book and i wanted slower pacing like you get in the book it seemed like the movie just flew by just flew past all of the plot and i i feel like this is a story that needs the slower pacing it's like a it's a journey film and you and you want to get to know the characters on the way another thing i want is more of fiverr's visions uh fiverr is my favorite character i i really i really relate to him and that sounds weird because he's a rabbit but anyway <laughs> um i wanted more of his visions because when they're depicted in the film it's some very creative and very dark imagery and it works really well and i think that's what people enjoy the most it's it's great it's great art on the screen but there's not enough of it um, so most of the time it feels quite out of place, these strange dark visuals. Um, so I wanted more of that. And speaking of Fiverr and his visions and imagery and everything, I have to talk about Bright Eyes. Spoilers for people who are listening to this podcast who haven't seen the film. Uh, I thought Bright Eyes was at the end of the film. This was one of the clips they showed in the Channel 4 program. And I thought it was this really, really sad moment at the end of the film where Hazel dies and Fiverr realises this and he has to come to terms with it. And this really sad song is playing in the background. And that that song was so sad when I was a kid that I vowed never to listen to it. I'd always get uncomfortable with that song as well. So I'm <laughs> expecting it to be at the end. I was waiting throughout the book while I was reading for Hazel to tragically get shot and tragically die all of a sudden and it'll be a really sad ending. But no, Hazel gets shot halfway through the book and um, and Fiverr obviously goes off to find him. But the problem is Bright Eyes is not sad because I already know that I already know that Hazel's not dead from reading the book. And Fiverr knows that Hazel's not dead. And so he's going off to find him, um, following the Black Rabbit of Death, telling him that Hazel's dead, but he still but Fiverr still believes that he's not. And so I didn't find this scene sad. I found it hopeful. And even though I didn't find it sad, it still brought me to tears. Um, there's very little character animation, which is good. Um, great visuals, more of Fiverr's visions and everything. Beautiful music. That is a really beautiful song that, like, I, I, I would listen to that a lot more now. And it's, it's a truly magical moment in the film. And it doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie at all. <laughs> like, like, even Bright Eyes, it's a song about death, but, having this feeling of hopefulness watching the scene it just doesn't fit in um but i wanted more of it <laughs> so um as you can tell i'm a bit torn on this film <laughs> um 
as I said before, there's beauty and horror um, simultaneously throughout this film, and yet it kept me it kept me intrigued, and I kept watching it to the very end, to those very last ten minutes, dear God. Um, so yeah, I'm very torn. I don't know whether I'd watch it again. I much prefer the book. I can't wait to hear what you guys think of it. Being British, we're more aware of Watership Down, but I don't know how anyone else um feels about it if it was big i know mason said that it's a huge part of his um family and childhood and such but um yeah i'm really looking forward to what you think so um keep up the work great work guys can't wait for this episode keep going i love you guys Ooh, Gemma. Oh, such opinions <laughs> <laughs> simultaneous beauty and horror but isn't that life <laughs> yes <laughs> I disagree. I think at some point you can show your kids this film. And well, I look at Del Toro's example. He saw this at, when he was about 15. It was his rite of passage into young adulthood. And I think at some point this story needs to be told because I believe that younger and younger generations are not being taught <laughs> well about the way things are. And that's just my opinion, but... Um, this movie is a terrific allegory for um, important, important sociopolitical issues. I wouldn't show this to my four-year-old or even my 10-year-old or 12-year-old, but I might show it to a college senior, <laughs> uh, not a college senior, a high school senior who's <laughs> taking like an English class. Because we read and watched Animal Farm. And um, if not the movie, then at least the book should be read. If if it is as as Gemma says, not as as bad or or terrifying of the film. I, I feel bad because I didn't really do as much research as I could. I didn't read the book, but I, I definitely you, plan to. You watch the Blu-ray Criterion Collection, <laughs> and that makes me snobby enough. Oh, mm-hmm. standard. Anyway. I think I think fourteen to fifteen would be a good age for somebody yeah. to watch this. Yeah, I'd say I'd say twelve or older, basically. Mm-hmm. Like definitely this it's not one of those you're if you're eighteen and under, you will you should never see this film, oh, no. as there are many that you shouldn't see. Um but this is definitely once you've matured a little bit, you're able to handle things like that won't terrify you or frighten you anymore. You more understand that this is kind of the way of life and, and maybe you're starting to appreciate violence at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Mason is oh, zipping yeah. in. <laughs> so yes. So thank you, Gemma. Our next one is from Sarah. Hello, Rotoscopers. So excited for your Marship Down review. Well, duh, I was the one that requested it. <laughs> oh, yes, this is Sarah. In case you can tell, allergies and whatnot. Um, yeah, I'm here to leave my review for Marship Down. I read the book first because I thought the movie looked kind of scary. And I was kind of right. But I'm so glad that I read the book first because I enjoyed the movie so much more after I read the book. And I love the book. It's my favorite book of all time. The movie was really good. Um, it did deviate a little bit from the book. Um, like, Black of Art does not die in the book, and he dies in the movie. And they started out with another female, with a female rabbit in the group who got killed off, which did not happen in the book. Um, Actually, I didn't deviate nearly as much as the um, TV series from the 90s did. Ugh, I hated the TV series. It was so bad. And they took everything that made the book and movie so wonderful and just cutified it. It was awful. I don't know. I give it a solid 8 out of 10 stars or 4 out of 5, I guess. 
And um, I really want to know what you guys are going to review next. Are you going to do the Pokemon movie like Mason asked for in the Penguin Panda 2 episode? Who knows? I think you guys are do Oliver and Company. Just saying. Anywho, I love you guys. Bye, Morgan, Mason, and Chelsea. You guys are amazing. And have a great and wonderful day, week, and everything else. Bye. All right. We have come to an official decision, Sarah. Our next episode will be... Walt Disney Animation's second amazing masterpiece, uh, Pinocchio. And uh, we're doing it because, you know, Age of Ultron's coming out, so the whole I got no strings thing. <laughs> That's exactly why we're doing it. Get ready to get ready for plenty of Stromboli. <laughs> All right, our last email is from Chris, and you might recognize him from Track Sounds, which is a Ooh. website devoted to soundtracks, reviewing them, talking about them. He has a really awesome podcast. Oh, Chelsea. Hey, hey. Soundtracks. We, we were on his podcast. We were on his, yeah. And the thing is, this is before I like was really into soundtracks and like knew a lot, or at least even a little bit. And it was very embarrassing. It was embarrassing Aww. for both of us. Yes, we were <laughs> on it, and they were just so they knew every composer and different films that they had done. And well, they was, are a soundtrack podcast. It, right. they, they were very well versed in their topic, which was great. But then we want we were on there because they did an episode talking about animated films that were coming out that year and talking like what could we expect in the score and we just fell flat on our face and that was not a good moment for us we were like i think it'll be good okay next i think it'll be good it was so bad so anyways musical we love your podcast but we we were not we were horrible i'm sorry (laughs) okay so on thanks for still talking to us though Hey, Rotoscopers, Christopher Coleman here with Track Sounds. Saw that you were going to be talking about Watership Down and just wanted to share briefly uh, that that movie, as a child, absolutely traumatized me for many decades. And decades. Well, decades. Uh, saw it with my mom. I'm sure she had no idea what this film was about. I was just excited to see a cartoon and I never knew rabbits could be so terrifying and gross. I uh, had a lot of questions from Ma after seeing that and just finally uh, saw it again for the first time after all those years, not actively avoiding it. It just wasn't in a format that I wanted, but the Criterion Blu-ray came out, so I picked it up, rewatched it. What an amazing film, way over the head of a, of a six-year-old. I don't know how old I was. I was young, um, but much more appreciated now. Rabbits are still ferocious and gross, but great film. <laughs> well, I can understand how you would be tra- traumatized if you saw it as a six-year-old. My gosh, yeah. I would have a talk with your parents. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it, it's interesting to think that rabbits, um, I, I would want to do more research on if rabbits are in fact so violent. Um, it sounds like you know something we don't. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, they definitely will fight for whatever. Like, I had this rabbit, I know, and he was a big old white rabbit like the ones in the film. And every time I tried to get him out of his cage, he would, like, scratch me and he would just, like, Ooh. it was... Bonicula. I, do you remember yeah, that book? Yeah, I do remember that one. It was like all the carrots would be, like, empty from the inside out. Creeper. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. Um What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, just... Rabbits. They're How vicious rabbits are in real life. Very, they're ferocious. 
You know what's interesting? That rabbits make um, terrifying sounds when they're wounded. Um, if you ever go to Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops, or I'm sorry, people in Europe, you probably don't know what those are. <laughs> but um, they have uh, animal calls for hunting, and one of them sounds like a wounded rabbit when you call it, a, you know, a fox or a wolf or some sort, sort of predator, predator some supposed to be attracted to it but apparently the cry of a wounded rabbit is like this scree- shrill screaming noise mm-hmm. because when you blow on that little animal call that's what comes out and so um i i guess i'm a little disappointed that they didn't have some of that in there um because you know the redneck in me knows that rabbits are capable of making those sounds i just didn't know they were capable of such atrocities <laughs> for listening to this episode of the Animation Addicts Podcast. You guys are amazing. We love the Rotoscopers community and our fellow animation addicts that we have been able to meet through this podcast. Very, very exciting stuff. So for show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash 92. That's where you can find all the links if you want to rent the movie, download the movie, buy it, DVD, Criterion Collection. Hello. All that stuff, even links to uh, articles that we talk about, anything where we're referencing something else on the Internet, I include the links there, so go check it out. Uh, if you're tweeting about this episode, use the hashtag Animatics and Animatics92. And if you want to send us a voicemail, which will get played on the show, send us a voicemail at rotoscopers.com slash voicemails, or give us a call at 406-646-6575. Uh, you, can, you can shop using our Amazon link and also our Audible link that that's if you like Audible and uh, audiobooks, and you definitely want to check out this book. This, that's one thing. I'm a member and subscriber to Audible, and I am interested in checking this book out. So I might be doing that in the near future. And, of course, if you want all your Rotoscoper swag, you go to rotoscopers.com slash store. That's where you can find our T-shirts that we printed, and we are just waiting for you to snatch up. They help support the show and the podcast and also uh, our new site redesign. They're super we, stylish. They are super stylish. I wore it to work the other day and got so many compliments. And they're really <laughs> soft. It's the Criterion Collection Rotoscoper t-shirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. High definition res- remastering of the shirt. Anyway. You, you can listen to the show on iTunes, Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to us in all those places. Also, if you love the show, we'd appreciate it if you leave us a review on iTunes. We love, we're at about 114, 115 right now. I would love to see that to 150 in the next, you know, month or two. That would be incredible. So if you haven't already, just go over there, give us a little review, and we appreciate it. You can also find us on Hypable and Animated Views, and of course, everywhere on social media. And I have some new news, guys. We have a newsletter. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. So on the bottom of the website, there is a link where you can put in your information uh, to subscribe to our newsletter. It's Or you can just go to rotoscopers.com slash newsletter, and you can put in your information. And we are going to be trying to do that. We haven't started up yet. We're just collecting you know, our email names so we can get our initial list. But then we're going to try to do something fun with the newsletter. That's something that I try to do with the site is every place, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, 
uh, or the website itself or the podcast. It each has something different for you to uh, subscribe to. So subscribing to the newsletter isn't just going to be rehash of stuff that you see on the site. It's going to be unique content uh, and, you know, special fun insider things will be announced there first. So definitely check that out. Lastly, you can find us all on the interwebs. I'm at Morgan Stradling on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. I'm uh, getting into the snaps a little bit. I'm trying to be cool, even though I don't, I feel really old, but yeah, check me out there. I, when I'm recording and podcasting, I usually, you know, do some Snapchats of what is happening. So good stuff there. You can find me, Chelsea Robson, on Twitter at Chelsea Robson. Um, you can also go to my Instagram. I actually, you know, I find myself posting a lot on Instagram. So if you want to see what's going on in the daily life of Chelsea, look me up there. So at Chelsea Robson. Pretty easy. All right. All right. And as always, you can find me, it's a little complicated with me, at Mason, S-M-T-X, on both Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram is, uh, it's like 50% life, 30% animation stuff, and like 20% like doodles that I take pictures <laughs> of. My school portfolio, you know, my my animation work portfolio, because I am an animation student, can be found on masonsmithportfolio.com, and uh, I'm about... Just about had it with uh, paying the the domain fee for Wix, and so it <laughs> it might be a different URL in the near future. But uh, if you want to get like a more up to date um, kind of blog on what I do at school, you can check out thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com. Uh, just today, I I um, put up a uh, kind of a presentation that I'm doing for my animation studio. I'm doing uh, rigging and animation for a, a short film and then also for a video game that's uh, going to be a PC game and just student work, you know. But if you're a character TD in the, in the animation industry, uh, I'm sure like a, a little bit of a, a little bit of love there on my blog and maybe even a critique. I'm fine with that. But yeah, check out all my stuff. Please all right. Give me a job. All right, guys. <laughs> that's all we have. Until next episode. We are the Rotoscopers. Now, for your friends that ask, author Richard Williams was never involved in production, although he did give it his stamp of approval. Um, Richard Adams. Richard Adams. Did I say, well, who did I say? Williams. Richard Williams. He's Neither was Richard Williams. <laughs> <laughs> As it turns out, the director of The Thief and the Cobbler was not involved at all in Watership Town. Can you imagine how trippy that would be? Oh, oh, the king of all bloopers. Anyway. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yep.